This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. We went in and really like mined for that information, really like pulled forth like the, the values and the pillars and the the ideology and the ethos and aesthetic and like all of these things that are just so there's they're tangible but they're you know you have to really like be able to walk all the way around them to identify them to put words to them so we did that that exercise i I think it's been maybe about four years ago um and it's it's been so instrumental even for me to be able to have that to look back at and to share with new employees as we expand and bring new people on and as we open new stores or um look for new um marketing opportunities or add new content franchises to our social media that was Anna Sheffield who launched Bing Bang in 2001 and her eponymous Fine Chului brand followed in 2009 Since then, some fine folks you may have heard of, like Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Kerry Washington, Helen Mirren, and Chalice Theron, came to appreciate her work. Today we go deep into how Anna created a cult-like following with a brand that was almost created by accident, and how creating the actual brand platform just four years ago was instrumental for her growth. But I also take this opportunity to dive into all the questions so many of us have about the industry as a whole. How much in the diamond industry is an upsell? Are lab-grown diamonds really the future? And maybe not a question many would ask, I'm going a bit witchy, to, to what extent do reclaimed stones carry the soul of the deceased? Yes, yes, I went there and Anna played along very nicely. But before we dive in, please support the show so we can keep it advertising free. Head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark to learn about all the options of how I would give back to you when you support my show. But now, here is the wonderful Anna Sheffield. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure. Um, you, you have two physical ateliers, right? One in LA on Melrose and one in New York City on Bleecker. How have these past four months affected your operations and brand? I, how, how did you have to pivot like everyone else? Oh, it's been, yeah, very interesting. Fortunately for us, we were already kind of doing remote with me being back and forth between LA and New York. So we had a little bit of practice, but the, at the onset, we closed our, both of the store locations and uh, we shut down our production office and our headquarters. So in the beginning, it was just a small remote team. Uh, I, I had to furlough most of the team in the beginning because there was no nothing for them to be doing while we yeah. were, while the cities were shut down. Um, we've since brought almost everyone back, which is amazing, but oh, we pivoted great. to really, yeah, it's been, it's, we're so fortunate that we still have a clientele that's been waiting and, and is thrilled to have us back in the flow. But we, um, we, we pivoted to being mostly virtual appointment, which we actually do a lot of that anyway, because we have, clients from all over the world and they can't always come to New York or LA. So during that time, we just got to hone those skills and, and really work on um, better ways to be uh, digital, like with our clients. So customer service and 
sales and showing them stones and talking about like the capabilities for making things bespoke. So it was really just uh, shifting to like that digital platform and kind of going quietly for a minute. And then we've been able to ramp it back up over the last couple of months as, as things kind of shifted in, uh, in Los Angeles and in New York, both sort of at different paces. But, um, but by and large, now that the stores are back open part-time, we're doing appointments uh, in real life, which people are also really thrilled about. And that's encouraging. Yeah, yeah. And I have, well, first of all, congratulations. That's um, a big sigh of relief that everything uh, went the way it did. It also sounds to me that um, because you had to dive much deeper into digital than, than you usually would have, um, most probably you come out um, a little bit stronger and smarter with your digital appointments. Because I assume it's difficult to show stones over you yes. know, <laughs> Skype or, you know, like yeah. Zoom. <laughs> It is, but we've actually, we have a few of our, and I mean, this is fortunate too. We have a few of the, we work with a lot of different vendors for stones because they come from all over the world. And, and um, I kind of cherry pick the different people that we work with based on their ethics and their product and um, all, you know, a number of things for diamonds as well as precious and semi-precious gemstones. So a lot of them actually have pivoted to being more digital as well with, with having like really great videos of their product. So there's a lot of, um, you know, beautiful assets that we have to work with in terms of showing clients like what's possible. But also like over the last couple of years, we've really leaned into being able to advance the kind of dialogue with our customers and even with potential customers via the website. So we've done a lot of kind of building out that like knowledge base where people can kind of tap into like, oh, what does this brand think about sustainability? How do they approach it? Or, you know, how do I learn about diamonds in the tone of voice that this brand has? So we have like a diamond school and we have a getting started so that people can kind of understand how to get through the engagement ring process or, um, you know, just different like love stories or our impact, like all the different give backs and things that we do. So we really worked on doing that in a robust manner on our website in the last couple of years. And that definitely helped during this time also. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a fascinating, um, there, there were so many, so many things that you said that we're going to have to dive deeper into. Um, but, you know, just to start with the, the diamond selection part. It mm -hmm. is a nerve-wracking, overwhelming journey for, for anyone, right? Because it is so hard to understand because there's a list of like 10, 16, you know, uh, ways that you should, you should um, you know, judge a, a diamond. And the question is, I mean, how much of that, how much of that is really visible to the eye? And, and, and how much of that mm. do you feel is, uh, you know, you know in, within the industry, do you feel is a little bit of an upsell? Like, what do you think is really important? Yeah, I mean, I've actually, I mean, to me, I think imperfections and, and oddities are beautiful. So from the onset, I've always kind of embraced that and, and put those forth as options for people and really talked, trying to take to sort of take what feels a little bit like, um, you know, stereo instructions like yeah, you know yeah. like oh you know like oh my god like how do i put this thing together the four c's the blah 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 like what matters what doesn't matter right um, and really just distill that in a way that makes it easy for people to understand and that they can trust us because i i am honestly like interested in conveying that information but in a way that makes sense for people so um i really love you know like the, the what's meant to be the tippy top is the white diamond right so that's that's like the what's been held aloft as the as the purest 
you know, white diamond with no inclusions, with a perfect cut, um, with the largest carrot, like that's supposed to be the thing, which, which is size. Um, so those are the things that are were meant to be the most perfect. And then wh what I really like to do is show people, yes, that's possible, but also like an off-white stone, especially if it's like an antique diamond can be really beautiful, especially if you're putting it in yellow gold or I like gray diamonds and that's really mm -hmm. a, a diamond that has like so many imperfections that it looks grayish or even has like speckles and spots or like intergalactic, beautiful fractal, like sort of crystalline layers within it. And like, if you were looking at white diamonds and then moving over to a gray, you might be like, oh my gosh, that's like not a very nice diamond, but really they're beautiful. So I've always kind of embraced that and tried to walk people through it. Like, you know, champagne diamonds are actually just on the scale of brown, but they have their own sort of set of really beautiful hues. And when we're selecting champagne diamonds, we pick the ones that have kind of like pinkish hues or really nice kind of subtle, like kind of vanilla cream soda kind of tones. So, you know, there's a lot in it that's kind of aesthetic still, and it doesn't have to just be technical. So we try to present that and also to like design things that work with those stones. I guess it was a uh, John Legend who, in one of his uh, majorly cheesy songs, um, said um, "perfect imperfections." <laughs> But that's what exactly. it is, right? <laughs> yes. I love that idea of perfect imperfections, and I, I love exactly. what you just said because that's—I mean—that creates character, right? Um, mm -hmm. in, in not in the not in the diamond, you know, term, but uh, yeah, absolutely. We've added it actually. Yeah, we call it the fifth C character. Oh no way! Perfect. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like why not take that into consideration? I oh, it's so good. Individuals, everybody individual has different tastes so allowing for that you know some people like sparkles some people prefer luminescence some people prefer color you know it's it's good to sort of have character as part of it yeah yeah absolutely I, I want I, while we talk about this I want to read two sentences from your bio to set a little bit of the tone for this um, throughout her career Anna has demonstrated a deep commitment to the highest standards of jewelry production and to giving back both missions fueled by the inspiration that she gains from the worlds of art nature, spirituality, and indigenous arts and crafts. Ethical sourcing, responsible practice, and philanthropy are core pillars of the Anna Sheffield brand and can be seen through her use of single-origin gem sourcing, reclaimed Millet, and recycled gold, as well as initiatives like the Future Heritage Fund, which in partnership with the New York, uh, sorry, New Mexico Foundation, the NMF, aim to preserve and protect the cultural heritage and landscape of the Southwest. So let's That's talk. A lot. <laughs> I know. You know what? You know what's so amazing? This is two sentences. Um, this is, this. It, it's like I could have written it. It could have been a German sentence structure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about, yeah, um, totally. you know, especially when you talk about ethical sourcing, um, mm -hmm. which, which I am, which I'm really, really interested in. And there were, there were many instances, or let's say a few instances where I wanted to go out um, and, uh, and, and look at that myself. And it was always very, very complicated for me to actually mm -hmm. get, you know, a lab grown stone, for instance. Um, but, um, but, but you source only recycled gold and conflict free stones. Um, and you do also work with, uh, with Diamond Foundry um, mm -hmm. to source lab grown stones. How how has that impacted the the industry? Is is lab grown the the future in diamonds? I think it is to some degree. Um, I think there will always be a desire for natural diamonds, like mined diamonds. But um, what I try to do in that respect is to mix in the reclaimed as much as we can. So the melee is like, or the tiny little diamonds that are like in pave, 
and even to some degree side stones. So like up to about three millimeter, I can get reclaimed stones. So I try to incorporate as much reclaimed as I can, but we also have the opportunity to do foundry um, for the man-made. So the lab grown stones, and then, you know, to try and offer antique or even to go through like more single origin or even just working with vendors that have like a, just a really transparent supply chain. So I think that lab grown is, is an important uh, element to, for this industry to, to be able to investigate. And I think for clients to be able to, to ask for it really, and that people should be able to supply. Um, but in some cases, like for example, with champagne diamonds or gray diamonds, uh, they, they can't really make those. That's, that's not like doable in a lab at this point. Interesting. There are limitations to the, uh, to the carrot size. There are limitations to the clarity and color. And in some instances, there, it depends on the company. I like Foundry because they are carbon neutral. But mm. in, in some instances, it's, I don't see that it's any better for a company to use a ton of fossil fuels to manufacture a diamond versus, uh, you know, mining for it. Yeah, right, right, um, right. So, and, there, and there are also a lot of them that are treated after the fact. So they heat them to make them more white because they turn out yellow in the original crystal. Um, so there's a lot to it that is, there's, there's still just so much beneath the surface that, that is not customer facing. That's more industry sided knowledge. Yeah. And I think that it's important that that those conversations happen for, for people as well, because I think the consumer needs to know um, the difference and they need to know, oh, if I'm not only asking for conflict free or for lab grown, I'm also making sure that that lab grown is, is, is from a zero carbon company or that the um, natural diamonds are coming through some sort of a supply chain that's traceable. So you know that the cutters are being treated well. You know that the, you know that the, the rough is being chosen by someone that you trust. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of different layers to it. So, yeah, as an industry-wide standard, I don't think there's a lot of, of, uh, of really client-facing information about that. So I've really worked to bring that forth as much as we can, as much as I'm aware or can be to try to, you know, improve on it. And I think to set new standards as a small company, I think is important. That is important. Um, is is the term alone lab grown makes me assume that the output is you know um, you know in, indefinite. Um, is I mean, is it very easy to get to get lab grown diamonds these days? Do, do they just pop them out like like there's no tomorrow, or is no, the process very different than that? It still takes time, and it takes a lot of energy. And again, like there's different ways that you can grow the the diamond crystal. So like lab grown can vary between companies, but the foundry has a certain way that they grow their stones and there are limitations. So you won't find a lot of, of larger size, carrot size stones, and you won't find a lot of um, high clarity stones. And often they're gonna be in a low color um, because they don't treat their stones. So there are limitations as well. So it's you can't just uh, decide like I want a ten carat perfectly white diamond and just push a button and print it out. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that was my naive question. Yeah. Which you know, yeah. uh, to, to, no, as a shopper, that's what you think. You're like lab yeah. grown. Oh, um, and that's what I know. yeah, and that's mm -hmm. what I realized too. As a, as a typical um, male consumer in this world, um, you know, I I'm very last minute shopping. So um, what I what I do usually it's like a week or two before anniversaries or anything. I'm like, oh yeah, that's coming up. I need to do something, mm -hmm. and that's why I have never been able to get a lab grown, um, you know, diamond because it's always too late because it actually mm -hmm. takes a little bit of planning for. 
those things. So. Yes, exactly. A lot of diamond jewelry does, especially if you want something bespoke, because it takes time to source the stone and then make the piece and get it shipped to you wherever you are. Exactly. And, yeah, so we try to... We, yeah, hence it's it is we try to send lots of reminders for those things. Well, yeah, and hence, <laughs> hence my wife, <laughs> hence yeah. my wife have, hasn't gotten any bespoke jewelry in a little bit. So. Yeah, yeah. Start um, planning ahead. You know, I mean, reading reading up on you um, and and your personality and and how you how you run your brand, um, you you talk about spirituality um, as well as reclaimed and recycled a lot. Um, you know, with your jewelry, so I am brave and and maybe sleep deprived um, enough to ask this rather esoteric question. But, um, <laughs> I love an esoteric question. Well, let's see, <laughs> let's see. You will. Um, to to what extent do you feel that some of these stones that That are that are reclaimed, um, you know, carry the, the soul or the spirit of the person who actually used to own them. Um, is that a consideration for you? I know some people, you know, buy a house and then they walk into the house and they're like, "Oh, someone deceased in this house. We can never live here, right?" Yes, um, but how, you know where I'm heading with this. Like, how do you how sure. do you feel about this? Because I mean, you feel the stones that you receive, right? And I mean, for you, it is an art. Absolutely. Yeah, I do think that, like many things that are. Like, like many objects, I think that, that objects can carry like a resonant kind of feeling, not only from a person that might have held them before, but also their origins, which is why the, uh, the sourcing is so important. Right. But I, I think that there's, I think with all things that have that kind of, that base level of, of um, sentience or some sort of like attachment, like spiritual, like energetic kind of their own sort of glow yeah. if you will yeah. um i feel like you can perceive i think people can perceive those things even if it's only a slight perception mm -hmm. but i think when you're looking at diamonds and, and i don't think this goes so much for the melly because these are pieces that are they're very small and they've been sort of cultivated and from all these different sources but with the with like a, if you're picking out like an antique center diamond for example and right. you're looking at like four or five uh, like old euros or old mine cuts, you know that these are like pre-World War I, um, so and even potentially more in the late 1800s. So if you're looking at these stones and you know that they're antique, you're, you're imagining that, yes, these have probably been set in jewelry before. May or may not have been an engagement ring, could have been something else. But um, the chances are high that this has been someone's talisman someone's amulet someone's piece of jewelry at some point in their life and i do think that when you're looking at them and you're interacting with them that you can kind of tell which ones are the that have like an extra shine to them mm -hmm. and which which ones are kind of like dull or don't have that kind of beautiful resonance so i think like that's one of the good things about letting people choose their stone um even with a modern diamond um, that you know hasn't been in someone else's jewelry before there's still that feeling of like where it came from, its provenance, you know, where, what mm -hmm. it's, what it went through to get to you. And, um, and I think that it's important for people to sort of have that time to be able to like look at something and feel it and choose it. And there are definitely folks out there that do not want a recycled or reclaimed diamond. And there are people that, that might just, you know, get that stone and then put it in some sea salt and let it sit out for a full moon overnight or something. <laughs> yeah. save it, you know, like, um, those are those are all possibilities too, and I think it's important with uh, with any gemstones. Personally, like with my own jewelry too, I I take things off now and then and just kind of let them do their own little clearing, 
you know, I'll put them on a crystal or I'll, I'll put some sage or I'll clean them with salt water or something just to like get the energy moving through them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, well, I am glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> um, as witchy as you want to be would be my answer. <laughs> um, so you you have, um, talking about witchy, you have a cult following, I would say, um, which which includes uh, countless celebrities from Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Kerry Washington, Helen Mirren, you know, Shalise Theron, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on. But obviously, it's not always been like that. I mean, you started you started somewhere. Um how did you start off and did you always have that drive that that you knew that you wanted to create your own brand at some point no it was a total and complete accident actually <laughs> it was which was i think fortunate because i can i think i can overthink things so it was it was kind of good that it happened in a more meandering way um but yeah i was like right out of art school i i kind of thought oh i should have a a little sole proprietorship so that I can do my thing and sell my art and, you know, maybe make things for people. If I want to make like something, I was just, you know, I did steel metal arts and stuff. So, um, I got a sole proprietorship thinking like, Oh, this will be just an easier way for me to get paid. You know, when I work with a gallery or do an open studio. And then, uh, I, so I chose a name Bing Bang, B I N G B A N G, because it felt like two hands with a hammer and an anvil, like getting stuff done. Hmm. And it was just a total like fluke. because I, I was like, nobody will ever know this name. I just have to like, you know, publish it in a paper and then my sole proprietorship's active. Hmm. And, um, and so I started, with that and then I was making jewelry a little bit in addition to my art because um, I was really you know I was, I was making sculpture at the time and I would just make jewelry when I felt stuck or you know just wanted to do something that wasn't so heavy and then I started you know wearing that jewelry and then people would see it and ask about it and then I would be like oh I'll make you one you know and then I <laughs> wear it into a little store in my neighborhood and like you know try on jeans and they'd be like oh my god that ring is so cool oh I made it you know and then it was kind of like that's how it started so I didn't really plan on having a brand whatsoever I didn't pick the name um <clears throat> thinking that I was going to have a brand so <laughs> that was a, the first bit of the happy accident so then as it, as that grew, um, and I still do that brand. Bing yeah, Bang Bing is, Bang is around, right? Which is amazing. Yeah, Bing, yeah. <laughs> we'll be 20 years in, yeah, this year. So I started in 2001, and, um, and it was my first sort of foray into that whole thing. And I had no experience in fashion, and, and I didn't, had never thought about branding or, or advertising or, or even really design for that matter. I didn't know anything about the, the fashion industry. So I just kind of you know, went with it. And it kind of took me to this place where I, you know, I was living in New York and Bing Bang became my full-time gig. I wasn't really making art anymore. I'd really like just leaned into doing jewelry and, and it kind of all these things that I didn't really know were working. Like I kind of learned about in retrospect as I really learned about branding and marketing. So there were a lot of fun things. Like I didn't realize that there was this thing called managed scarcity, which is like, you know, when you run out of something and people are like, oh my God, I have to have it. You know, basically like the line at Supreme yeah. is like managed yeah. scarcity is like the, their business model. Right. And so early on with Bing Bang, I was making everything by hand and, and we had early success with like celebrity. It was like before Instagram, before the internet really, but I was selling at Barney's and making everything by hand in Brooklyn and, you know, they, all of a sudden, like someone, a celebrity would be wearing like Drew Barrymore or 
Jessica Simpson or somebody, Maggie Gyllenhaal would be wearing something of ours and, you know, and they would get credited and like people or star or us weekly. And it would be like bing bang jewelry at Barney's, you know, and then they, <laughs> it would be like, they'd call me like frantically like, Oh my God, those earrings, we don't have any left. There's people that want them. And I was like, okay, well I'll start making them today and I'll have them for you guys in a couple weeks, you know, and people would be like, what? I have to wait. You know, and it was like this whole thing. So again, like little by little, I was like, okay, I have to figure out hiring people. I have to figure out branding. I have to figure out like, you know, I didn't really have a logo. I, you know, I just all that kind of, I never had a business plan. So in the beginning, like Bing Bang was just this thing that I built like a little castle, like out of Legos, like one little brick at a time. <laughs> um, and then watching it evolve has been so magnificent and so fun. So I had, by the time I started my fine jewelry brand, I really had, gained a lot of experience so that was that was magical and to be able to have that opportunity basically to like learn on the job um and to start with something that was just really fun for me and has always been fulfilling uh, it was a little like like lower stakes because it didn't have my name on it it was always like bing bang is like this little right, you're right. Some of its parts it's like a little crew a little you know a little team and, and it is still a team, which is wonderful. Um, but so when it came time to start the fine jewelry, I had just sort of, I had reserved my name because I was making art. Like I was like, I'm a sculptor. I want to use my name for my art. That's why you know? I was wondering. And yeah. yeah. So I never, and I didn't really have an intention of being a jewelry brand or doing a brand or being a brand. So when it came to it and I really wanted to start playing with fine jewelry, I, I had started to like, explore diamonds and gold and making things. I was growing up, I started this brand in my Bing Bang in my 20s and I was in my 30s. And I was like, you know, I want things that last and I want to make things that are like precious. And so it was really interesting in the beginning to, um, to kind of look at it and to try to unravel that, well, like, what is my brand? That was, that was the hardest of all because Bing Bang really was so, came so naturally, it just fell into place. And building my brand has always has been much more complicated. Well, you were reluctant using your name, right? Because that's a big yes. that's a big step. I mean, I did the other way around. So, so we actually founded our companies at the, at the same time. I founded mine in 2001 as well. But um, I actually cool. started with my name. I started with Gaia Halter Design, which then I realized we're doing more than design. So 10 years later, it was Gaia Halter and Co. And then, you know, I realized, well, you know, like, you know, now I'm doing something totally different. I need to change my name. And plus, what if I ever want to grow or sell my company? It should have a different name, right? So and then exactly. I pivoted yeah. into Finian. And now everyone's like, hey, why, why, why is your company called Finian if you're only like a consultant with like, you know, a couple of employees? And I'm like, well, <laughs> well, it's a journey. It's a it, journey. It's, it's a journey. <laughs> you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. But um, why were you so reluctant? Was it because everyone else in the industry, is it kind of like, was it a norm that everyone used the name and that's why you wanted to go against yeah. it? Yeah, by and large. I mean, like when you look at the big, big boys, you know, like, Tiffany's and Harry Winston, the, you know, like there's, there's a lot, even, you know, among more contemporary designers like David Uriman or yeah, the, people use their name and it's, and I, um, I don't know. I just felt very reticent to do that. I felt shy. It felt like I was really with Bing Bang. I could always kind of hide behind this. Like it's an us thing. Like we, you know, very, whereas once I put my name on it, it was like, I'm the solely responsible for whether this is good or bad. You know, I'm solely responsible for the success of this thing that is like, where is unintelligible where the line is between me and it. 
So um, that was that was hard. And I, like as a, a spiritual person, it's also like, oh my God, do I really want to put myself out there like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, f- for sure, for sure. And I mean, did did that did that idea of branding then affect your your company culture? Because obviously, you you have you have a good amount of employees now. Um, yes. On the one hand, it is your name on the door, right? Uh, nice and mm-hmm. big and shiny. Um, everything you always feared. Um, but, yes. then, <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then on the other hand, um, your brand is very purposeful and there are plenty of shared values your team can be inspired and driven by right so so that's what how does how does that work with the team like do they ever feel like 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 how does that brand relate to how how your culture actually works Mm -hmm. well i think it's interesting because you know i'm i've always been such a part of it we are independently financed so it's not like i have to answer to anyone or that anyone else has to answer to anyone um, so it's it's always been a bit of a community and it started small. So everyone that's worked with me and I'm still friends with and close with many of the people that have worked with me over the years. Um, it's like such a group effort. Um, you really like, and, and it's one of those things with small companies where everybody just kind of does whatever needs to be done. You know, it's like a ship. Yeah. Everybody has their, their role, but also it's like when, when things are happening, it's just like, I'm closest, I'll do that, you know, or you know, I can manage that. Or why don't we do this together? It needs four hands. So it's always been about like this kind of group effort. And, and I, I think people seeing me really be in the company, running the company, like making decisions, helping, like I, I do all the different, I've done everything that everyone can do in my company now, you know, like yeah. I mean, with the exception of those who have incredible expertise, but you know, I used to upload everything to the website. I used to take all the photos. I used to style everything for the for the cases, you know, and write all the copy. So it's been, um, it's been good in that way, just to like, I think to be a part of a team where people can really see that on my team can see that I'm, I'm in it, I'm in the trenches, I'm doing things, I'm working all the time. And, and um, I'm trying to be a good leader. But at the same time, I think where it comes to the branding, I didn't really like the same with Bing Bing. I never started out with like a brand guide and a deck and a investor. It was always kind of like, you know, making it up as we went along. So with my company, I did end up eventually doing a brand guide and it was amazing for me to, uh, to work with people whose expertise is, is just that. Um, I worked with my brother and a few others and we went in and really like, mind for that information really like pulled forth like the the values and the pillars and the the ideology and the ethos and aesthetic and like all of these things that are just so there's there's they're tangible but they're you know you have to really like be able to walk all the way around them to identify them to put words to them so we did that that exercise i i think it's been maybe about four years ago um, and it's it's been so instrumental, even for me, to be able to have that to look back at and to share with new employees as we expand and bring new people on and as we open new stores or um, look for new um, marketing opportunities or add new content franchises to our social media. It's really great to have like this kind of Bible, as it were, that you can look to for many of your answers. And also, if there's things that are no longer resonating, then you can realize where you're where you're evolving. 
I, I so agree. I, I just did uh, one of these workshops um, uh, on Thursday and Friday with an Italian um, interior design company of, 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 of all places, which was nice because I felt like I'm actually come, going out of the country. I, I felt like, you know, like they actually in, I think yeah. at, at four o'clock, they started mixing Negronis and I'm like, wow, that's nice. <laughs> and they had to go on a cigarette break. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, oh, so, Italy. oh, it was so beautiful. And, but, but, but the reason why I say this is because, you know, afterwards they said, oh my God, Fabian, you're a miracle worker. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not a miracle worker because everything, everything that came out of the workshop was from you, right? So basically, I'm just a therapist. I just uh -huh, get it out uh -huh. of you. And so it's really great to hear that from, from you after you've been in business for so long. And then finally, you realize that you, you know, you are expanding, you are hiring, you need to put all of these values down, you need to put the pillars in stone. Um, and to actually feel that, that, that relief and to have this clarity moving forward that now it's all on, on, on one page or on a couple of pages and here yeah. this is our brand right um even if you grew it very organically and authentically um those things are important they're not they're not fake they're you know they come they come from you which which i think is so important precisely talking about italy in one of your um instagram posts you cited the famous benetton um campaign from the 80s oh, yeah. by oliviero toscani um who was a big reason why i decided to actually study um communication design and advertising in the post you say um it makes me remember that the brands we support have the option to integrate the present with the future we want to see i hope that we can continue to bring that belief into our brand and exemplify that ASG is united in the bold vision of all for love. So that that being said, which is which is so great, and I loved seeing that because this this entire campaign to me was so um, it was just so so important, you know, in my growth as a designer and the way that I the way that I wanted to make a dent in the world as well. Mm -hmm. um, How how has the Black Lives Matter movement uh, influenced the way that your brand communicates uh, in in these in these sobering but also very empowering and very important times? Mm -hmm. Like, did things change for you, or did you you know how? I, I mean, it affected every brand, right? And everyone was sure. kind of like standing there with you know deer deer in headlights and like like now what, right? Yes. Well, I think I mean the good the good in it, like you said, is that like this is bringing a lot out into the light. And, and a lot of people are being held accountable and everyone is being required to look like really uh, sobering, take a really sobering view of themselves and their businesses and the businesses they support and their friendships and their families and, and, and the world we're living in. So in many ways, I think it's wonderful. And I think that it's that you can only change what you're willing to, to, to work towards. So I think this is a good moment for America and for the world. And I think that like, that's why the Benetton campaign was so, it felt so relevant to me because that was a really early moment for me in my life was like, I don't even know, I was probably like seven or eight, like looking at this, these shiny, beautiful ads in a magazine or, or you know, as I was going through like a, an airport and seeing these beautiful faces and thinking, oh my goodness, like that is beautiful. Like that is so like not even knowing the word compelling, but feeling compelled, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And um and I've always tried to find ways that we could do that with our not just with our visual not with, not with our creative and marketing but just with our with our words and with our with what we really strive to do with this brand. And because we're we make engagement rings and and wedding bands 
and find jewelry that you know mark moments in, in people's lives. I don't want anyone to feel alienated from that, not just because of the price point, but because of like what our visuals look like and what kind of models we're using or how we speak to people and also how we use our platform to support in moments like this. So uh, one of the good things that we did that I, that I felt like was empowering for us was to be able to lean into like sharing information because we are a platform with a lot of followers. So being able to like aggregate like content from others and to share and amplify messages from, from those who really deserve to be heard right now um, and to champion different causes that I think are really important, like the trans movement, the trans lives matter mm -hmm. movement is like so important. And I have friends that are trans and I have since I was in college. And I, I think that like being able to look at that uh, from a personal perspective, but also like, oh, well, how can my, how can I use my brand to show people that maybe don't have a trans person in their life or that haven't had firsthand experience with this to show them that this is beautiful and sacred and that it's important to be able to like have this dialogue and to show what's, you know, just to, to, to rally the troops. Like this is where we can help, but also this is where we can listen and this is where we can learn. And this is how we can like bring our, our, our message forth and like act. So I think that trying to find ways to use the brand to, to be a part of that conversation is really important. And I, I feel like, I, I don't want to say we've done a good job, but I think we've been authentic to that purpose. And I think thankfully it's always been part of our dialogue. So it, it didn't feel like it was yeah. a, a leap um, because since like uh, we mentioned it earlier, but the future heritage fund, I started about, uh, four years ago, 2006, I think, um, because I grew up in New Mexico and in my early life, I lived in the Navajo nation when my parents were working for the Indian national health service. So I spent the first few years of my life living, um, in the Diné community. And, uh, I was a child, but I was there within this, this beautiful community and the, the artwork in our house and the, you know, the other people that we lived near and the, the, the whole Southwest is very steeped in the Native American cultures that are there, like the, um, the Navajo, Diné, or the Pueblo tribes, the Apache tribes. There's a lot of that like art and artisanship and culture and belief systems and, and sacred places. So I, I really wanted to bring that into my work. And like as this person who left New Mexico and moved to New York City and has this, you know, like kind of different life, very different life than I would have had if I, had I stayed in New Mexico to, to be able to take that and show how important it is to support these artisan communities and to talk about like cultural preservation and try to really like, I don't know, just share this, this experience that I've had firsthand growing up in this place that's so beautiful and to not only talk about the problems there, but also to talk about solutions. So I think it's really important to, to approach this conversation where it relates to the indigenous people in America. And so it's, it is also part of this movement, I believe, uh, in so many ways. So I think having been working on that for the last five years, it was, it was also really important to, at the beginning of COVID, lean into that too, because it was adversely affecting a lot of native communities uh, here in the States. 
Yeah, I, I am actually um, acutely aware of that too because I, I worked with a, uh, with an organization called the Wind River um, Foundation, and and they are they are very much um, you know working towards towards the same goals um, as, as as you as you explain. Um, I I would actually urge everyone to um, to look at uh, look at your Instagram account because. Um, you're 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 doing amazingly on your Instagram account. I love the stories. I love the cameo stories that you created, which are not oh, yeah. cameo the the brand, which I interviewed them here too. But it's but it's oh, you cool. know actual cameos. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's it's extremely authentic, but it's also um, very very well curated, and it's just a pleasure to follow. Um, on on your website, you also state this, and I absolutely love that. Um, you say it's around us, between us, within us. It's alchemy. So with that, um, and since we're slowly coming closer to an end here, I want to ask you the big, the big question, which you knew I would ask you. What does branding mean to you now that you've done this for almost 20 years? What does branding mean to Anna? Well, I think, I mean, to me, it's really, it's the stories. It's those things that people can, can hear you tell and like they can conjure up their own images and they can feel like where it relates to them and really feel enveloped by the, the, the mood and the meaning that you're putting forth with your stories. And I think that, that can be told you know, in words, it can be shown in the product, it can be a part of our visuals. And it can be also like how we speak to things like the cameos, like these are amazing people I love that I want you to know about. Um, and they're going to have a little cameo on my Instagram today. So like taking those, all the different stories that we have and, and putting them out for people to experience, I think is what, what branding really, what really is at the end of the day, because it's taking something so visceral and, and moving it into something physical. And for people to have an experience around that, I think it has to be multi-layered, like it has to be multi-sensory. I absolutely love that, and that's also the reason why I wanted you um, to be to be on my show so badly. Because I, it's it's not easy to do what you just said in the jewelry, uh, fine jewelry place uh, space. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really really difficult because everything is stereotyped, right? It is very, it is an entire much, yeah. <laughs> it is an entire <laughs> stock photography um, you know uh, industry, um, and so to actually be able to stand out and to create an authentic experience and yet be able to scale um like like you do is is really amazing so i think there's a lot there's a lot that uh, our listeners can learn from from just analyzing your website and, and and your instagram and i would actually encourage everyone to go to your website because um just going through the ethics uh, section alone um is 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 really it's it's a joy i mean it it, it it's educating oh, it's 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 a beautiful site it is you know functionality is really fantastic so it's um it's it's a pleasure if you if you can take your brand and you put it through a funnel and out comes only one word <laughs> what would be what what would be like your brand DNA? What would be one word that could encompass the entire brand? I think you, well, you just said it, it's alchemy. Alchemy is definitely the one word because there's just, there's magic in how things come together. And that's exactly what we do. And it's, it, there's alchemy, not only in like the diamond that came out of the center of the earth that was forged by fire and pressure. And, you know, this is amazing like cosmic thing, but also like taking that little diamond and putting it into something that honors it, like a setting that design that really like 
shows it what it is, even those perfectly imperfect ones in the in their best light. And then how that also then becomes a part of someone's life and a part of their love story. And and that there's an alchemy in that and how it becomes an heirloom or a talisman that it then holds all of this energy and all of these memories and and all of this meaning. So I feel like alchemy is really that, like where these different things combine to make something so much greater, so much more profound. And I think jewelry should absolutely be that. I, I mean, even with Bing Bang, we work towards having their, their, maintaining meaning in what we do, even though it's like a less expensive and more attainable and more fashion forward, more young. It's still like there's an alchemy in that too in those moments in our life. So I think particularly with fine jewelry though, and with the materials and the, and the clients that we serve, I think that the alchemy is just absolutely the end all be all because it feels like everyone has a part in it too. The changes and the, the transformations are, are among so many people touching, feeling, experiencing, wearing and being with the jewelry. And what you just said over the last couple of minutes is the power of having clarity in your brand. Um, you know, being able to actually put it down to word like alchemy that is so all-encompassing. I mean, really, it tells the entire story of what you do and, and how you do it and why you do it in, in one single, not overused word. Um, it, it, it's, it's so powerful. I mean, I love that. I love hearing that. Um, it's, it's really, really great. Um, to, to, to finish things off, um, do you have any brand advice for for founders that are that are you know fresh fresher you know like to to the whole you know um, entrepreneurial um, journey that um, that you feel like you can you can leave them with um, you know anything you learned over your years where you feel like you know what um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this show with with these thoughts. Mm -hmm. Sure, I think that, and I, I mean this advice is pretty standard for me. I feel like. Like we all know, like our intuition is so powerful. Like those little gut feelings and those senses that we have about what's good and what's bad. I think it's important to follow those as much as you can and to not let anyone tell you that that's a bad way to do business. Um, because there's all this, you know, just this conventional wisdom that there should be data. Of course there should be data, <laughs> you know, that there should be experience. Of course there should be experience. But also you can't undervalue like how someone just having an idea and believing in it can make something really wonderful um, happen that no one else has done. And, and that those stories come up time and again. But I think that really like, you know, trusting in yourself is so important. And I think it's one of those first things that you, I mean, at least for me, I, I would, you know, I would think, well, I mean, there's no reason why I should think this is a good idea, <laughs> but it feels like a good idea, you know? So it's like, and if, you know, and sometimes I don't follow those, my own advice. I don't follow my own intuitions and, and that's okay too, because, you know, you have to fail to, to learn. You have to have moments of doubt to come out the other side with more direction and, and more conviction. But I think that, yeah, the one thing I would say is just to like, to like follow your gut. 
And I've been I've been hearing this quite a lot on my podcast lately, and that is a really good thing because I'm really glad that uh, that 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 more people hear that because it's not it's actually not easy to trust your gut. Um, it sounds like it would be easy, but mm-hmm. you know it it takes a certain personality, it takes certain charisma, and um, it takes well guts to 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 listen to yourself and to just mm-hmm. say I'm going to go against the grain. I'm not going to look at data. I'm just going to go with this because my instinct tells me. Um, and I think I think a lot of it. Um, comes with experience where you start where you start you know because you you know you know you yourself just know that this might be the right direction and you exactly and you have the experience to say I'm just going to go down that down down that path Mm -hmm. and it was so great having you on Um, I have a feeling that people can find you the the best way to start is ennasheffield.com right yes and, that would um, be a good start. And our Instagram, <laughs> which is the same, it's it's at Sheffield. Perfect. And then, uh, and then Bing Bang, if you want to look at the at the beginnings and how that's evolved over twenty years, how I stayed twenty for twenty years. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's the at Bing Bang NYC. Same for the website. So they're both worth looking at. I think I love both brands, and I still wear both brands. So I think it's kind of cool for people to see that the connection between the two. I know, I know. It was it was really interesting for me too as I as I researched your your brands a little bit more. Anna, thank you so much for having been on the show, for taking the time out of your out of your day. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, um, and um, yeah. keep trusting me your too. gut, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, I will. I'll do my best. And thank you, thank you for the wonderful questions. I really oh, my pleasure. Really my really pleasure. Enjoy. Thank you so much. Take care. What a beautiful, deep conversation. If you liked the episode, hit subscribe and please give the show a quick rating so more listeners like you will be able to find it and enjoy it. This episode was edited by Everett Barton and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.